Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 49 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen. I'm the director of Seven Positive, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Alex Hannant. Alex Hannant is CEO of the Arkina Foundation, an organization focused on the growth of social enterprise. Arkina provides a range of specialized services that support social enterprises to start up and succeed, from innovation process to investment strategy. Arkina also works with community, government, business, and philanthropic partners to develop New Zealand's social enterprise sector and advance broader thinking around social impact and inclusive economic development. Alex serves on the boards of B-Lab Australia and New Zealand and Pomegranate Kitchen and also teaches a course on leading social enterprise at Victoria University of Wellington. Previously, based in the UK, Alex was Director of Programs at LEAD, a global network focused on leadership and sustainable development, and he was also Head of Partnerships at the Climate and Development Knowledge Network a global initiative providing technical advice and services to decision makers in developing countries. So in today's podcast, we'll discuss Alex's insights from the recent Social Enterprise World Forum held in Christchurch. We'll get Alex's thoughts and perspectives on social innovation opportunities, and we'll hear what Alex believes can be done to create stronger opportunities for positive social change. Alex, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks very much for joining us. Kira Tom, thanks uh, for having me on. So Alex, to get things started, could you please share a little bit about your background and what led you to working in the social enterprise sector? Yeah, sure. I mean, I have to say, I mean, I I kind of, I was a bit of a a late starter, really, with all things professional and, you know, getting serious jobs and those kind of things. But basically, I was was traveling the world and I landed in New Zealand and I managed to, you know, sneak a visa to stay around for a while. And um, I got an amazing job. This was sort of my mid-twenties, working for the university just as international education was taking off. And um, I got a job in the marketing team. So it it was a wonderful experience as part of my work to basically get to travel to China, India, Southeast Asia, Mm. um, and a range of of amazing countries. And during that process, I suppose I came increasingly aware or troubled by issues around poverty and development and inequality. So really, sort of that experience was the start of a question which has led me up until here. Mm. I I went back to university to do a a postgrad in development studies. And I I think quite naively, I I thought, you know, intention was enough to actually create positive change and then really realized just, um, you know, just how difficult it is to actually play a role in actually creating uh, positive cycles of, of development and change uh, mm. rather than just being a sort of a do-gooder just yeah. you know like uh, trying to make a contribution so to sort of get to the point through working in areas around um, community development or you know sort of influencing policy 
looking at sort of processes around innovation um, or leadership development in individuals. The stuff that I started to see that worked was when you had local leadership understanding the problems um, and the communities that they are trying to uh, work in or problems they're trying to solve mm. and finding models of change which are financially sustainable in their own right. So so they're the characteristics, and let's call that social enterprise. Yep. So really it just seemed to be the most effective way of actually understanding problems and then being able to deliver sustainable solutions. Mm. Fantastic. It's been a really interesting pathway you've taken until now. So could you please tell us more about the projects that you're involved with then at the Arkina Foundation and what the broader aims of the organisation are? Yeah, well, I might turn that around actually and start with the broader aims. Yep. Um, so, I mean, going on from what I previously said, for me, social enterprise is a means to an end. Yep. Um, and I guess the theory of change behind Arkina was if we can support the development of more social enterprises that leads to you know more sustainable change mm. um more innovation more sustainable change so arkina was sort of set up originally to think how can we provide the support for more social enterprises to start up and succeed um so really it's an enabling organization and it's try to diagnose and effectively remove the barriers around innovation capacity development organizational development and then uh, you know ultimately organizations working at some level of scale yeah. um, uh, and, and long-term sustainability so in terms of the programs that we offer they really sort of speak to what can we do at any given stage of development be that's people coming up with ideas people mm. building their skill sets people doing startups uh, people solving business development problems as they go along organizations finding access to markets organizations finding access to appropriate finance yeah. and so we've developed a kind of integrated set of services and programs which really seek to provide support to people and organizations through all those different stages mm. I, I guess while we started off in that very much that kind of direct support developmental approach we increasingly realized that if there isn't actually a broader sector or a broader ecosystem actually working around all these activities. The overall effect is going to be limited. Mm. So increasingly, we kind of got into influencing and advocacy and partnership development and trying to move some of the bigger, uh, more powerful organizations, be that in philanthropy, government, local government or business, yeah. to really get involved and see how they could also um, build strategies um, and work collaboratively together to to create a more enabling environment for social enterprise mm. so that, that's a long route round but we do a whole heap of developmental stuff across yeah. the whole country and now internationally and then over the last sort of three or four years we've played an increasing role in building awareness and supporting the development of strategies with those uh, bigger institutions or, or wider sectors mm. well it certainly sounds like you've built some fantastic momentum and just recently, over 1,600 people attended the Social Enterprise World Forum in Christchurch from all around the world. And the Arkina Foundation played a lead role in the organization of that event. So now that you've had a few weeks to reflect, Alex, what were the highlights for you of that Social Enterprise World Forum? And how do you plan to channel and harness the energy created at that event to drive forward the social innovation sector? Yeah, good question. I mean, we, we're still making sense of this. And, and I think, you know, after any uh, sort of any event which has so much um, 
I mean, the first thing to say, Tom, I mean, it went as well as we could have possibly hoped. Yeah. And, you know, so we're we're delighted and, and are still celebrating that. Mm. But I think there's also a cautionary note there that, you know, you can it's easy to get carried away in the the energy and positivity around a certain event and you know it doesn't necessarily mean that you know that will be channeled or, or create a, less, a legacy in its own right mm. so you know we're still feeling our way into this a little bit um in in terms of the event i, I sort of just go back a little bit we, we always saw this more than an event we understood that the world forum had this kind of precedent for being quite a catalytic force in the countries which hosted it mm. it's almost like if you invite the world in and you know create a container that it, that inevitably sort of changes the narrative or the momentum around the idea of social enterprise and yeah. that can lead into really concrete uh, actions and investments to better support social enterprise mm. so we started with that thought in mind and a lot of our activities over the last two years have been really trying to say we need this for the long term. So why don't we get up and running and launch it at the forum? Wow. So at the forum, in addition to all the people, we had all these uh, sort of side events or parallel events where we were launching initiatives around investment, um, where we were launching initiatives around Market Connect, a procurement platform where, you know, government had just announced a three-year investment in sector development. We convened the universities to mm. have a discussion about university education. So in addition to the main program, there were some real concrete activities that had been designed and then were, were launched there. So I think the legacy of those things hopefully is secured. Mm. But I think I think the bigger thing is like, how does the community or, or the movement around social enterprise actually find a better way of working with each other? Mm. Okay, so like you can build all the infrastructure initiatives you like, but unless that movement is cohesive and actually, you know, sort of keeps up the momentum, yeah. those things could become white elephants. Mm. And so we're provisionally hopeful because I think one of the things that happened there was people who were doing the work didn't realize how many other people were doing the work. Yeah. You know, so whether it was a Mari social enterprise from the East Cape or a social business from Wellington or a community business from the far north or a trading not for profit, yeah. people came together and they realized that although they came from different places, they had a shared endeavor mm. and they shared the same values. Yeah. And so more than social enterprise, there was this kind of sense of like, we can do things differently and we can actually change the world around us a little bit. Mm. So, so I think... The challenges going forward, which is also the opportunity, is making the most of the investment and the initiatives that have been launched, yeah. but finding a way to actually facilitate the conversation within the sector itself, which builds a natural momentum of itself rather than, you know, uh, I, I guess re re relying on the sort of the, the, the more sort of infrastructure elements just mm. to, to deliver stuff on those by themselves. Yeah. You've just listed a, a range of really interesting organisations based in New Zealand. So how do you believe New Zealand is unique in the way that it approaches social enterprise and the types of opportunities it can offer to changemakers worldwide? Uh, I'm not sure if I think New Zealand is unique. I mean, or no more unique than anywhere else, if that makes sense. Yeah. Obviously, in New Zealand, I think there is something really profound uh, in, in social enterprise in the, the Maori context. Mm. And that's because the, the values which underpin social enterprise are, you know, sort of deeply embedded in a Maori kaupapa. Yeah. Uh, so be that 
Kaiti Akitanga around sustainability, intergenerational responsibility, yeah. sort of a collectivism and, you know, a sense of serving the whole community. Mm. All those things are kind of characteristics of, you know, what we would see social enterprise in a more sort of Western way, which are yeah. embedded in Maori thinking. And I think that's not unique in itself because I think a lot of indigenous people uh, and, and indeed um you know, Western civilizations pre-industrialization, you know, maintains a lot of these values. Mm. But I think in New Zealand now, what we do have is the kind of settlement process with iwi, which is unlocking significant amounts of capital and also sort of set in a, a narrative around empowerment and self-determination. And mm. I think so that kind of that process and the rise of social enterprise are happening at the same time, which potentially makes the combination quite powerful. Yeah. Uh, uh, the only other thing I'd say is kind of unique about New Zealand is we're small and we're functional. Mm. So when stuff gets going here, it can, it can go like wildfire. Yeah. Um, our size is a constraint sometimes, mm. but when, when we get, when it gets going, we can um, move very quickly. And I, and I think there's a sense of, a lot of the more established social enterprise sectors have had to sort of find their way learning by doing and yeah. have got a lot of bloody noses. And in some ways, come in a bit later to the party, not so much in terms of individual social enterprises, but as a sector mm. development strategy, coming late to the party, we're able to learn from the mistakes of others. Yeah. So I think the learnings there, the ability to respond quite quickly is there. And there are these sort of elements sort of around the kind of um, the, the, the Maori development, um, uh, you know, uh, aspect, which yeah. could combine to make c c quite a powerful um, sort of flavor of social enterprise in New Zealand. Oh, certainly could. So how have you then seen the social enterprise sector transform and change over the last five years or so? And where do you see it heading? So I think there's a lot more of it. That would be the first one to say i think there's been a proliferation of activity yeah. that doesn't always go hand in hand with quality but what it is useful for is sort of normalization so i i used to say social enterprise and people looked at me in a confused way now i i don't tend to get that anymore there's mm -hmm. almost been this kind of mainstreaming yeah. of of the idea um, and then, you know, that's then reflected in, you know, the strategies and the interest of more mainstream sectors, be that mm. business, philanthropy, local government, central government. Yeah. Um, so, so I think there's been a normalization. I think also some of the most successful social enterprises in New Zealand previously have been the ones which are very embedded in their community and they've been around for a long time. And I'd say that they were, have been doing a fantastic job, at, but the support sector, which is growing up around them, is going to enhance what they do. Mm. The, the biggest change has probably come in a sort of a new breed of social enterprises, which are more sort of see themselves as primarily sort of business or at least, you know, delivering their impact through markets. Yeah. Um, and And I think we're starting to see the first wave of the sort of the new breed of social enterprises now actually get into a certain level of confidence and scale. Mm. And so organizations that we've been supporting for say five years are doing their second rounds of investment, are exporting now, you know, are mm. getting, you know, grown up organizations basically, you know? So, yeah. so I, th I think there's a sense of, there's a lot more going on. The ones which were doing it well are finding it easier to, to go about what they've been doing previously and yeah. are being able to, you know, share their experience and knowledge with um, 
more that kind of community-based work. And then for the organizations which are working more in a market context, they're getting recognized, they're getting scale, and they're getting capital. Mm, yeah, yeah, very interesting to reflect on. So looking at social enterprise then from a policy perspective, I know you've done a lot of work with government. What do you believe are the key steps that government need to take to help foster and support an innovative social sector? So I, I think I'd probably go about this in two ways. One, it's the policy which directly relates to social enterprise, but isn't about social enterprise. Mm. And then secondly, there's social enterprise policy. Yeah. So I think it's important to think when we think about social enterprise, it's not not just the sort of this niche sort of sector, which is finding its way and growing. There are other things going on in our economies and public services and societies, which are just creating more space for social enterprise to happen. Mm. So if you look at the trend of the New Zealand government, and this would be the same in Australia and many other Western style governmental models, the whole move of governments wanting to A, outsource stuff, B, redirect their financial spend to services which are demonstrated to be effective Mm. through different types of contracting. And then also the devolvement of budgets down to service users rather than just bulk buying the delivery of services. They're actually handing down budgets to people who are service users who can then choose who they purchase uh, services from. Mm. Those things aren't about social enterprise, but all of them are creating new markets specifically around social value. Mm. So there's almost a case of saying traditional organizations which just saw themselves as service providers and not-for-profits are increasingly finding themselves in competitive market arrangements. So whether they like it or not, they're going to have to become enterprising and you know what, they're mission-led. So so they're actually being evolved into social enterprises whether they like it or not. Mm. So I think that's just important to notice there's going to be this, I think some of the figures from Australia, for example, like there's an annual spend of like $100 billion, which Mm. goes into the procurement of social and public services. So that's all up for grabs. And me, for one, would prefer a mission-led organization looking after me and my dotage rather than Circo. Mm. No offense, Circo. <laughs> um, <laughs> or take offense, I don't care, really. But, uh, you know, so it's to say that, you know, the way that policy is happening. So I think there's an interest to say, how do we then improve the innovation and capability of mission-led organizations who can actually play a real leading role in the delivery of public and social services? Mm, yeah. So, so I won't go any further on that. But it does lead into... If you are a government, you know, how do you go around saying, well, we now value social enterprise because we know it's about inclusive economic development. We know it's about better public services. We know it's about skills and capability. We know it's about unlocking potentially other sources of capital to deliver things we're interested in. What do we do to make it work? Mm. And we we articulated through basically four areas of uh, strategy. One is around capability development, business Mm. development. You know, so what I was discussing earlier about what Arkina does How would you conceive of that, not through one organization, but as a whole kind of national infrastructure of support? Mm. And I think one of the interesting things is here, it asks a question about what does radical democratization of innovation look like? Mm. So if you think like 150 years ago, only a few people got education. And at some point, you know, people said, you know what, it would be benefit for all of us if everyone got education. Mm. What happens in the 21st century if we suddenly realize that innovation is one of the key competencies we need how would you go about you know doing the equivalent now of what putting a school in every village was in the the 19th century or 20th century Mm. so you know that's the question how do you build capacity at scale 
and equip people with the confidence and the capabilities in, in order to conceive and, and then build social enterprises. Mm-hmm. The second strategy is around financing. So that means deployment of seed funding, deployment of research and development. It means co-investment. I think the jargon is co-mingling. How do you use public funds to unlock philanthropic dollars, unlock private dollars? Yeah. Um, how do you ensure that there's you know, the right type of growth capital around? How do you make sure that that serves the requirements of social enterprises, which are not businesses in some way, especially when they're working in sub-market conditions. Mm. So that's the second strategy. The third is markets, social procurement. How do you think about adding social value to all public and private sector spend? Mm. Right. And again, here you get to the point of it's not about positively discriminating towards social enterprises. It's not saying we will contract with a group of social enterprises. It's just saying, when we buy our goods and services, we just want more. Yeah. We want to see evidence of community benefit or social value. And so social enterprises are well-placed to, to deliver on those requirements. But also, a bit like I was saying, like some not-for-profit organizations are going to find them social enterprises, whether they like it or not. Mm. Mainstream businesses will start to see, well, if we want to get these contracts, we've got to think deeper about the, the social value we create. So yeah. as much as social leading into the commercial, we're going to have hopefully commercial leading into the social. Mm. Also, there's consumer awareness. I mean, fair trade is people don't even think about twice now. Um, You know, how can we have that same awareness with social enterprises, you know, goods and services across the board? And then the fourth area is kind of the glue and the kind of information, you know, evidence, data, which makes all those things work better. Mm. And so, you know, how do we appraise the impact of social enterprises that are working in different areas? I'm not sure if that's even possible, but, you know, what's the kind of the currency system for impact where people can see something is really happening? And then there's performance data. You know, how many are there? Where are they doing? How well are they doing? Mm. How fast are they growing? You know, how, how do we know that our policies are actually... Um, making any difference and and then I I think then there's the sort of learning aspects of data in terms of how do we capture success how do we replicate models or at least share elements of success which are applicable to other situations Mm. Um, you know so how do we create that learning culture which can inform practice within social enterprises themselves but then also inform the strategy of local government philanthropic sector business and so on and so forth Mm. so they're the four areas that we've been saying to government that we don't want government to lead but we recognize it does have a certain monopoly on getting things going and also if it does invest others will go along with it Mm. so they're the four areas that we've been you know sort of advising that government should be looking at yeah well you've brought up some really really interesting points there across all four of those areas so if a council or government was looking to engage effectively with communities to address complex local issues and problems, how might they most effectively co-design responses with the community to to address those issues? What do you think? I think you brought up in that question, it's a really good point that before you start just innovating and creating enterprise solutions, it does still start with people and communities being able to diagnose where their strengths are and also Mm. where the weaknesses are and the things that they want to change. So, I mean, I think you can look in other areas, you know, the whole kind of um, sort of methods or at least narrative around collective action, which is often located in a place. And you quite often have 
like a, a backbone organization or an intermediary which is able to convene the various different stakeholders in the system and mm-hmm. sort of under actually stand you know get a collective understanding of what's happening in any given place yeah. and i think it's really important that it starts there rather than just people coming with bright ideas and then doing startups mm, yeah. one of the moments and i wrote about this but one of the moments at the world forum was when andrea chen from propeller in new orleans which was uh, an incubator uh, set up to respond to the sort of the fallout of hurricane katrina yeah. and they had been kind of quite successful on the surface of things you know they'd got money they'd done startups they'd invested mm. but when they looked at the evidence all the things that they set out to change were going backwards not forwards yeah. and, and and they there was this sort of realization that we're effectively supporting the people in the organizations that would have probably done okay anyway you know mm. rather than actually really convening the community and, and the groups which are being excluded now yeah. and better understanding where we actually have to change deeper things like attitudes around race or, mm. or power uh you know and and it was only at that point when they went deeper into diagnosing what needed to be changed and actually creating sort of collective sense of action that then the innovation which came and the enterprise that came after that started to actually really sort of get on you know sort of get to the, to the nub of the issue so so i think Going back to your question, it works well in place in some ways. You know, I think, you know, this stuff does work well in a geography because people um, have a way of being with each other, you mm. know, which perhaps, you know, they, they don't do when they, they get, you know, it comes too big a distances, um, you know, in play. So yeah. I think going forward, local governments and cities uh, regional communities, you know, geographical hubs, they will become the epicenter of activities. Mm. It's just important that those things are connected to each other within a national and international context. Yeah. And that, you know, you're able to connect local innovation and ownership with global you know, networks of learning and also mm. global networks of, of, of trade and finance. Yeah. We certainly provide some great insight there, Alex. And I mean, working in many ways with many different social entrepreneurs, what do you believe are some of the fundamental traits and qualities of a successful social enterprise leader? So I'd actually put this on four levels. And it kind of, this is also, this kind of thinking has led into, you know, then how do you build learning programs to to build these capacities? (laughs) But I mean, I, I think ultimately... Anyone who wants to try and change anything which is social and environmental has to have some kind of systems literacy. Mm. They have to understand the problems that they're working with in a very, very deep way. Yeah. So Pamela Hartingen, who was the the director at the uh, Skoll, Skoll Centre at Said Business School, yeah. she had a phrase of apprenticeship to the problem. You know, so like people have a really deep understanding of the systems, the communities, the issues that they're dealing with. And I think that's absolutely essential. Mm. Um, Coming in and suddenly trying to solve other people's for problems for for other people is just fraught with any number of of risks around legitimacy or, you know, you're more likely to create you know, far more damage than you're going to do, mm. uh, you know, sort of anything good. So first thing is understanding the problem and having that systems literacy. Yep. The, the, the second thing is then, you know, having two people actually have the skills to design and, you know, so- solutions. Do they have that innovation capability? Mm. Uh, do they have the ability to test, refine, iterate, you know, and, and so design thinking is great competency, 
you know, sort of innovation, understanding how to use data and evidence yeah. uh, and all that kind of stuff, you know, so it's a good innovation. And I think then that sort of bleeds into the social skills, which are absolutely critical in building teams and organizations, mm. but also being able to relate to the communities and customers that you work with. Yeah. So you, if, you, if you don't have that, you can have all the technical skills, but you may not be able to sort of interpret or translate some of the data points you get. Yeah. I think also in the technical skills, you're talking about good, strong commercial skills, um, or at least knowing what you don't have and being able to uh, build a team with people that do have those capabilities. Mm. But last of all, sort of the top level is, is the kind of humility and self-awareness piece. So sort of personal leadership. You know, really being understand the limits of your own capability, understanding your motivations for why you might be doing something, mm. um, being appreciate when you're wrong, being able to, you know, change, um, being able to absorb criticism, natural attrition of just doing things which are really difficult for long periods of times. So really those personal uh, personal leadership qualities. So to, to recap. Um, systems literacy and understanding the problems you're working with, two technical skills which span innovation and, and you know, sort of broad base of commercial skills. Yeah. Three, having that kind of those social skills which, you know, build um, trust, um, enable people to relate, enable people to communicate. And then fourth, that kind of personal leadership and resilience and that sort of really good sense of sort of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, you know, which ensures that, you know, sort of you don't get too buffeted around on the on the journey that you're inevitably going to go through. Yeah, there's some very valuable traits there, Alex. So what inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across recently which are creating some great positive social change? I mean, starting at the micro level, uh, at the the social enterprise that I'm on the boredom, I'm just you know fills me with such joy mm. um, because it's it's just so deeply human. It's about it's everything that is good about what we are, mm. um, and that's Pomegranate Kitchen, which is it's a catering business which employs former refugees, women from the Middle East, and celebrates their strength as cooks and their cuisine and their culture mm. and the food is delicious but everything that you know goes into that organization is around empowerment and respect and quality mm. and you know so it's just like as a small business you know it just proves that you can do things so much better yeah. and i mean i'm sure this would be the same in australia as it is all around the world now and you only have to look at around the kind of nationalistic bigotry which is on the rise you know so the way that we are becoming more threatened and intolerant of the other Mm. and a business like pomegranate kitchen which turns that on its head and creates a really positive narrative which enables people to be integrated and welcomed and valued is such an important thing yeah and the thing i like about you know pomegranate kitchen is sort of one of a number of wellington based social enterprises which kind of they're clustering together you know, they, they trade with each other and, you know, and, and they, there's a lot of peer support there, but there's this kind of real kind of um, agreement around sort of the quality of their brands as well. Mm. And so that really excites me that it's not just doing a good thing, but they are actually sort of wanting to sort of um, take on, you know, sort of mainstream business that it's you know sort of on that quality level too yeah yeah so that's one two i'm going to jump to scotland um and this is around system supports you know how you know organizations can partner in in really kind of smart ways and 
there's a, a food supermarket chain called Asda. Mm. Now, Asda, I think probably a couple of years ago, started charging people for the plastic bags, and we're seeing that all around. Yeah. And But they diverted all the charge they got from the plastic bags into Social Invest Scotland, into an investment fund for social enterprise. Mm. So the kind of the mechanism to try and restrict waste, you know, and hopefully in some ways that wouldn't last for that long, but all that money is then going into an investment fund to support new business initiatives. Mm. And then for the ones which are creating uh, appropriate um, products and goods, Asda is then giving them uh, shelf space. Mm. And also supporting a whole business development program. So you're sort of incorporating in one system play the financing, the capability development and the access to market. And yeah. I think, you know, it's just a powerful way that when you, you get a private sector organization with a government in, investor body at working with social entrepreneurs that, mm. you know, everyone can get a hell of a lot of value out of that. Mm. You know, and, and then I guess, you know, sort of at the level above that, um, you know, just starting to get very excited around the involvement of these national strategies around social enterprise. So, you know, Scotland's now in its second uh, state of Victoria has launched its um, strategy, you know, um, I think at the back end of last year. Mm. Um, I think something similar might be taking place um, in maybe maybe Queensland in the near future. Yeah. Um, New Zealand's going that way. Taiwan's going that way. Korea's on its second one. So beyond, you know, the micro into the kind of partnership, we're actually then starting to see the ecosystem as well. Mm. So you know, sort of all of those things, I think, are really promising. And of course, you you want a proliferation at all of those levels. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, to, to to make this something which is going to be truly transformative. Yeah, absolutely. Some really good initiatives named there, Alex. So to finish off, then, what books would you recommend to our audience? Donut Economics by Kate Rayworth, I think, is probably the seminal book of this moment, really. Yeah. And and the way that she just, you know calls it how it is and says that the kind of the economics that we've been living for a while, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just outdated. Um, It's limited in some ways. It's poorly conceived in the first place. Mm. So everything else is changing incredibly fast. Why wouldn't we have a new economic system for this century? And I think she does a great job of describing what that could be. Mm. You know, an economy which has to work with um, environmental limits while also providing the social platform for everyone to thrive. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I mean, it's just like, it's not even common sense, right? It's kind of like, it's just a no-brainer. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the idea that, you know, live on a ball of rock in the middle of nowhere, we might have to kind of not break it in order to stick around for a while, mm. um, might be a good idea. I, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, defies belief really. Yeah. But, but her book, and I, you see, I think social enterprise, if you think about it, fits into that model because it's basically saying we're creating value, but we're not externalizing costs. Mm. And we've also got a bias towards redistribution because we know if we're going to be here for the long term, there has to be the social foundations to bring along everyone with us Mm. because it's, and that isn't inherently, it it is the good thing and it's the right thing to do, but it's also around avoiding risk. If you want to be a cynic, it's just about avoiding risk because if you have too much inequality, you'll end up with some kind of event, which is just beyond your control to contain. Mm. So, 
you know, so I, I think that's great. Well, that sounds like a, a great book for us all to have a look at, Alex. Alex, thanks so much for sharing your really generous insights and time today. We very, very much appreciate it. And we'll look forward to touching base again with you in the future. Thanks, Tom. Really appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.